All right. I have been trying to remember the two things I wanted to say when I got up here. And uh, they are both, they have fled from my mind. And it was important, too. And I apologize for, for spacing out on it. So I'm sure it'll, it'll come back to my mind. Ah, I remembered it. Okay. So, uh, senior moments happening more and more. Uh, if you have not grabbed uh, a wafer and a cup of juice that are in the back there for Lord's Supper, we will be having it uh, uh, at the. It's my third point of my sermon, so it'll it'll just we'll just transition right into the Lord's Supper. So if you want to take the time now to do that, uh, feel free to do so uh, as we uh, transition to this particular study. I, I want to just to say, uh, you know, I like to warn you. Uh, I don't know if it's always always a good thing to warn you or not, um, but I am I'm on an emotional edge this morning because of the singing. All right, the singing just ministered to my soul today, and and I found myself it just wells up within me. If you're not an emotional person, you you in terms of the crying and the you know the choking up and all those things. If that's just you know, some people are wired that way, some people are not. Uh, you know I'm wired that way, and I just like to 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 let you know that God has been ministering to me uh, through the preparation for this particular sermon, the the uh, the singing that's already transpired, the update uh, in, by in Zambia from from Cherith, and and the text that we're going to get into today. Uh, in the family happenings, you may have noticed when Bob was reading Scripture, he had a Christmas tie on, and I was so thankful for him. It told me that he read the family happenings this week, and, and uh, I went to my closet to get my Christmas tie, and I don't have one. I have snowflake ties. I might have like a jingle bell tie maybe that I've never worn. Uh, I don't remember. I don't have like a nativity scene tie and so I have to get one. This is not an invitation. <laughs> you know, I made a mistake one time of saying I liked a certain, t- I'm not going to say it. I-, I liked a certain type of food, and I'm telling you, I got that type of food quite a bit. So you're loving, caring people, um, but I'm not telling you, all right? But uh, I'll get my own tie. Thank you. Um, but thank you, Bob, for, for wearing that tie. Uh, and the reason I, I mention that is because it is July, and uh, whether you knew it or not, and by the way, we will be celebrating um, uh, the 4th of July here in a couple of days. And uh, as part of the announcement part, I meant to share that the offices will be closed that day. But make sure whatever celebration you do, you do safely. Um, we're not doing a 4th of July sermon today. Uh, we're going to focus on that. But I am thankful for the country we live in, and I'm thankful for the freedom that we have. And I think there's much that we can uh, uh, learn from both... Uh, uh, our freedom as Americans, and, and as it helps us understand, maybe even uh, in a, at a deeper level, our freedom that we have in Christ, it, we can make it tangible. But um, certainly have a good fourth, but have a safe fourth of July as well. Um, but as we, as we come now, I, I want to I continue. This is only the third sermon in, in this study. And, and so the first week that we looked at it, I, I just wanted to encourage you with this statement to know Jesus is to want to know him more. And when I talk about being on the edge of emotions, I wrote this on the edge of emotions. Because I, I, this is the desire of my heart for me, and this is the desire of my heart for you. 
And, and what, what grieves me at times is when I'm not good at helping people know him more, right? I mean, I, I, I actually got to share the gospel multiple, multiple times over the last week. And, uh, and there was this one particular, and it was just glorious. I mean, we're just talking about the Bible. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking, and and there, is, there is communication. There's understanding going on. But in the midst of it, it uh, something was shared that helped me understand. Not everybody knows him the way they want to know him. And, and certainly, my heart goes out to you this morning if you don't know Jesus, because I'm telling you right now, we want you to know Jesus. And, and it's, this isn't a sales pitch. It's a heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching thing for you to know that your sins can be forgiven in Christ if you will just come to faith in him. We are, it's not a social club, though we do social things. We are here gathering on the first day of the week as we are celebrating the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. When have you ever seen that happen? Oh, you haven't, because it's only happened in Christ. Those who are in Christ. And, and so that, that coming resurrection that, that uh, we will all celebrate as believers can be yours as well. And you can know that you have a relationship with God. And, and you'd only have, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so to know Jesus is number one. You, you've got to know Jesus this morning. And, and I'm thankful for all those I've been able to talk to that know Jesus. But we need to pray for those and we need to put action to our prayers and, and help others know who Jesus is. Because once you know him, and I hope this is true of you. Once you know him, you want to know him more. And, and that is the goal of my life, is to help people know Jesus more. Um, and I, I, I thank for all, I'm thankful to God for all the opportunities he, he gives me. But each week is an opportunity for that. And this is one of those weeks. It's one of those weeks because it's Sunday and I get to unpack the Word of God. And, and so this is my heartbeat as we go through the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented through Matthew. To know Jesus is to want to know Him more. I hope that's the desire of your heart. Last week, Pastor Joe shared this uh, challenge or this truth. Our identity, hope, history, and mission are fulfilled in Christ. I'm not going to re-preach his message, but I encourage you, it's online. Go back and listen to it if you missed it. Our identity, big discussion in today's day and age. Our hope, the need of so many people. As, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there are those who need to know God is with them. His rod and His staff, they, they comfort. They, they need to know this hope that, that is only found in Christ. We talk about our history, not just our American history, but our, the history of mankind, Right? But certainly the history of the church and the history of that is moving forward in mission, our mission. All these things are fulfilled in Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Promised One. All these things are true. And Joe did an excellent job of unpacking that through the genealogy of Jesus Christ presented in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. I want to take this statement and build upon it, and I'm just going to change the emphasis for the day. And it says, our identity, hope, history, and mission are fulfilled in Christ. So follow me with this, because this is basically where I'm going for the rest of this sermon time, is we're going to be talking about this idea of Christ fulfilling. 
We're not going to go into detail of identity, hope, history, and mission, but when we talk about this idea of fulfilled, for something to be fulfilled means something has already been planned. There's already a plan in action. And so we're going we're gonna to be looking at this idea of what it, Christ fulfills all these things. Why? Because God has a plan. God has a plan. Whether you know it or not, it's been, in, it's been working since before uh, creation. And it has, it has been going forth. And it, the plan of God, it continues to work. And it continues to work perfectly. There's never been a time in God's plan. It's a singular. I, it's, I have to keep it singular because we talk about making plans, right? Plural. Uh, God makes he has a plan. There's facets to the plan, but he has one plan. There's no alternative necessary because he's God. Uh, at, the, at the fellowship yesterday for uh, Jack and Nardis, uh, I was sitting with um, uh, Mike and Lisa and, and, uh, and Christine and, and my in-laws, and, and uh, uh, Chuck and Marsha, sorry, C.W. and Marsha. I should use their names since I used everybody else's. Uh, and I was sitting with them, and I was sharing the story about my plants. And, and I, I was, it, it's really kind of humorous because I, we love baseball. We love the Red Sox. And we're planning a trip to go to California to see our daughter, Anna. And I thought, hey, let me look at the Red Sox away games, right? And let me see if there's any where we can stop along the way and see at another stadium, see the Red Sox play. And sure enough, the Red Sox are playing the White Sox, right? Chicago White Sox. I'm like, wait a minute, Chicago's on our way. I could take the northern route. We got to go see my brother in Denver. But I'm like, if we got to get to this game, okay, the game is at uh, 7.05 on, the 20, on, on September 22nd, I think it is. And, and I can plan my days. And I plan the entire trip around stopping uh, to see the Chicago White Sox. I made hotel reservations. I did everything. Now, I haven't paid for them yet, all right? But, and I got everything, and I'm telling Christine, hey, guess what? We're going to, and then I look. It's a home game for Fenway. It's a home game for Red Sox. So uh, my plan's not always working out perfectly, right? We're still going to make it there, but it'll have its uh, twists and turns, I'm sure. But the plan of God, it, it never fails. It never has a hiccup. All right? It continues to work perfectly. So in Ecclesiastes 3, I just wanted to show this verse, and we're just going to look at it, but it, it kind of, it's a truth that needs some scriptural backing, right? So I wanted to put this up here. I know that what, whatever God does, it doesn't matter what God does. Whatever he does, it shall be forever because he's eternal, right? There's nothing that God has to, uh, it's, it's the mystery of God, right? He has never had a beginning. He never has an end. So everything is always forever. But I know whatever, he got, whatever God does, he, uh, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away. There's the idea, nothing changes with God. God is God. He's always has been God. He always will be God. And he does it, whatever he does, he does it and we have a response that we are expected, that men should fear before him. When we see the hand of God in action, when we see the plan of God unfolding, we are supposed to res- respond to it in awe and in faith and in obedience and all those things. But here's Solomon uh, conveying to, to uh, certainly in his writing of Ecclesiastes to us, that, that God's plan is perfect and it is, it is going to continue. It will continue to be that way. So from our perspective, though, the plan of God is an unfolding plan. 
Uh, we see it in Scripture, and we understand up. Uh, we can understand. Uh, we can understand everything up to the point that we have experienced, that we have learned about and seen. But then, we, even though His plan goes forward, we can go to His Word and we can see some of the highlights that's going to happen. But we don't know all the details. But God does. But from our perspective, the plan of God is an unfolding plan. Think about it. You find yourself today in this room at this particular time with these particular people in the room too. And all of us are not here by accident. God is, is doing uh, his work in lives and, and his plan includes you. you. You are not the forgotten one of God. God has never forgotten anyone. Uh, but as we see this plan of God, we have to understand from our perspective, it's unfolding. From God, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He, he knows all things, right? So I want to look at three parts of God's unfolding plan as we look at, at, at Matthew, and then we'll transition into the Lord's Supper. All right, we're going to look at three parts of God's unfolding plan. Part one, the plan of God is for him to forever be with his people. I am usually uh, encouraging people, and I am, because I am encouraged, all right, by the truth that God promises us his presence. He promised it to Joshua as he was heading into the, into the promised land. At the great, in, the, in Matthew 28, the very, uh, Jesus promises to be with us always. It's part of the plan of God that he will forever be with his people. But it was an unfolding plan. So, so the plan of God to be with his people is seen as we walk through Scripture. We know God was present with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. They were at peace, and it was, it was beautiful, and there was, there was relationship that was untarnished by sin. And, and so he was physically with his people because and, and, he, would, he would commune with them. He, would, he was walking through the garden. Adam heard him walking through the garden, and he hid after the fall. But we know that God desired to be with them even at that point in time prior to the fall. We see it in the call to Abraham. We see that God desired to be with his people because God made a, this call to Abraham. He called him, Hebrews says, while he was a Gentile. People think, I was telling the teens this in Sunday school, it's, it's, it's the, the Jewish people, uh, some Jewish people thought they were so special because they were children of Abraham. And it was John the Baptist, I think, and I think Jesus said it elsewhere, that, you know, don't tell me you're children of Abraham. God from these rocks can raise up children to Abraham. It's not that you are his child that matters. It's the fact that Abraham matters. Abraham was chosen of God. He called God while a Gentile. And he, and he chose him. He didn't do anything special to earn God's favor or grace. God chose him made a promise to him. We call it a covenant. And God has been working that out. And that's why in, in the first verse of, of, of Matthew, uh, where it says uh, the genealogy of Jesus uh, the Christ, right? He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so God desires to be with his people. And it was through Abraham that the Jewish nation came to be and still is. And, and it's through the nation of Israel that Jesus came Right? And that's where we're going to be focused here in a few minutes to the point where we can celebrate as Christians the Son of God coming into the world. But the plan of God has always been to be with His people. Uh, we see it in the, in, the, in the construction of the temple and the tabernacle. 
We go back to those texts of Scripture, and we see that when the temple, uh, excuse me, when the tabernacle was, was constructed and, and it was dedicated, that the, the Shekinah glory of God came and dwelt in the temple, came upon the tabernacle in such a way that it was, uh, the people of God knew God is in our presence. We know that, the, that the, the, the presence of God appeared as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire for the, for the, for the Israelites coming out of Egypt. God demonstrates His presence and His desire to be with His people in the location of the tabernacle. When they would travel, the tabernacle would be set up, and each tribe was, was like spokes on a wheel, and the tabernacle was the hub. It was the center point of, of, their, of their living. And, and so they always had this physical representation as they traveled that God is saying, I desire to be with my people. It it changed a little bit with the temple because it became a hard structure. It's not necessarily in the center of Jerusalem, but it was the center place of worship. And once again, we know that when the t- temple was dedicated, again, God made his presence known. And so God has always desired to be with his people. So as we, as we talk about the plan of God is for him to forever be with his people, the beautiful thing about the text we're going to look at today is that Jesus' birth it brings us one step closer toward an eternity in God's presence. When I first constructed this slide, I said Jesus' birth fulfills this, but it, it doesn't fully fulfill. That's usually what fulfill means. It's like fully. It's, it's, a, it's another part of the plan. Jesus' birth, we celebrate it at Christmas. And we're talking about this text today, and, and, and we're going to look at it slightly different than probably we ever have before. But Jesus' birth brings us one step closer to an eternity in God's presence. Because what God established in the garden, God will bring to conclusion in eternity, and we will ever be with God. And, and, but Jesus' birth is this integral part of this whole thing. It's all been moving towards from, from, the, from the, uh, the, after the fall all the way to this point. We've been moving to this point that Jesus' birth would take place. So let's look at the details of God's unfolding plan as we look in verses 1, 18 through 25. There, part of my concern is there's a lot here, and I don't want to lose you. There's details. I'm going to try and give you passion and inflection of voice to keep you interested, but please don't allow what is so familiar to, to cause you to wander, right? Let's be in wonder of what God is doing in these verses, right? So a few of the details of God's plan. First of all, there was a legal marriage already in process. As we, as we look at this, this, this legal marriage, there's a lot of nuances to this text, and, and legality is, is, is two parts of it, this part and the last part. But there was a legal marriage already in process. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, if we've been around church for any length of time, we understand that this betrothal between Mary and Joseph was a legal agreement. It was made between Mary's parents and Joseph or Joseph's parents. However that exactly worked, uh, I am not totally knowledgeable about. But I do know this. This betrothal lasted for about a year, give or take. Right? There was about a year where they were legally bonded to one another but not living under the same roof. 
It was, it was just the way the culture worked. Now you can go to Vegas and, and get married in a heartbeat. You can go to Vegas and get divorced in a heartbeat. Uh, but in this day and age, Mary and Joseph were betrothed, legally uh, married in a sorts, just not living under the same roof. And, there, and there's so much we know about that that we study at, at Christmas time. But as, as we think about this, this is, it was a legal marriage. It was already in process. If they were, follow me here, if they were married about, or excuse me, betrothed for about a year, and Mary is pregnant, right, that we're going to talk about here in a minute, it didn't happen at the beginning of their betrothal. Nine months is less than 12. So it was somewhere in that betrothal period that the angel Gabriel came to to Mary and, and conveyed to her and, and we see that in Luke, and we're not, not going to go there today, but we see that the angel appears to Mary and says, you know, blessed are you, right? I mean, you are, you are the chosen one. And what is her response? She responds in faith and says, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be unto me as you will, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing faith from a young lady. Uh, but we see this legal marriage was already in place, and so the timing was important, all right? As, as we look here, he says, uh, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together. Now, we know what this means. It's the idea before they lived under the same roof, before they shared a marriage bed, that we, we say that after his mother Mary was betrothed, that the engagement happened, but the, the official joining of the two had not. This is vital because she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Right? So the timing is, if this is all going to work out according to God's plan, all these details are there. We understand them 21 centuries later. But, but the people of their day, Joseph? Think about this. Mary had an, a visit from an angel and was told she's going to be pregnant. All right? Joseph had not had that visitation yet. We're going to see that in just a moment. But we see that, that uh, it was a legal marriage. It was already in process. The timing was important. It had to be, there had to be the timing just right for all this to take place. Because we see that the pregnancy was supernatural. We, we'll, we'll engage in this on a couple different times. But it says she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This supernatural event that we celebrate every year at Christmas. But this idea that she was found with child... Some, of, some people say, oh, she was found out. Like it was some sort of, like she was keeping it secret and, and uh, she didn't want to tell anybody. And, and uh, I'm not sure that's so much the case. I think the idea here is that she was found. In other words, her belly was, was expanding. She could not, she was not hiding it for fear of anything else, but it was just having the natural processes of things is, listen, moms don't look pregnant, and then they do. And that's what's going on. She's, she's found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the, the narrator, you know, Matthew, is telling us this, that we, it's a child of the Holy Spirit, and we're, we're going to see how that happens in just a moment here. But, but she has been found out. And so, but the focus of this text, which is different than Luke's account of this, is not on Mary, it's on Joseph. This, and this is very important for us to understand. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus Christ is really focused on what takes place in Joseph's life. So we're going to see that 
a, a few details of God's plan is that Joseph was the, he was the man. He was the chosen guy. Just as, just as Abraham was chosen from the era of the Chaldees out of the Gentiles, Joseph, out of all the men in, in Israel, he was chosen to be the, uh, I don't know what you want to call him, the, the foster father, the, 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 uh, the guardian. Uh, the guardian is probably a better term for God's son, Jesus. But notice, he was a godly man. And we're going to see his character unfold here. He, first of all, we are told he was just. Look at this verse, right? So it says, Then Joseph, her husband, by the way, the idea of husband is, is pointing back to the legality. It, took, it would take a bill of divorcement for them to not be, to go through with the marriage, right? We'll see that in a minute. But then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. We read right over this, don't we? Christmas time, we read right over it. We need to park here for a minute. What does it mean for Joseph to be a just man? It means that he was a person that was, that was seeking to honor the Lord with his life. He was obeying the scriptures. He was learning the scriptures. He was practicing. It was part of his life. It wasn't just a religious uh, persona he was conveying. It was, it was at his heart. He was seeking to be a man who was just, who was righteous, who was honoring God with his life. And so we see two things about him. One, that he's a just man, but also that he's a gracious and merciful man. I, I, I love this because his, he is the guardian of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the example of being just, gracious, and merciful. I'm not saying Jesus learned it from Joseph. I'm not saying that. But Sir Joseph certainly didn't learn it from Jesus. But he, as, as Joseph, as, as, uh, as the chosen one of God, demonstrated being just and, and as well as gracious and merciful. So, so what does that mean? Well, it says, then, verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. All right? So I, I, don't, I want to keep this slide. I'm going to highlight the, the next portion in, in a minute. But uh, we see just, the just man. A just man, a person that is seeking to honor God with his life, who understands the law, who understands that his betrothed is pregnant and not by him, has to do what is just. What is Joseph supposed to do? We want to read this, and we want to skip over the just one and just get, well, he's not wanting to make her a public example. We're saying, well, Joseph's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He's trying to deal with this in a way that, that doesn't harm uh, Mary's reputation. And, and that's true. But we forget the part that he has to do something as a just man. He cannot just turn away from this. In his mind, up to this point, sin has been committed. No angel has appeared to him yet. He's a just man. The law must be followed. So he's a just man, not wanting to make her, her a public example. So there's the grace and, and, and mercy that we see. He doesn't want to defame her. He doesn't want to drag her name through the mud. There are those who would, because of their own self-righteousness, say, Oh, I've been sinned against. Let, make, let, let me make sure everybody knows this. Because with this betrothal, they are, they are wed. They just have not consummated the marriage. And so for Joseph to ignore it would be a problem. That would be very just. If he just married her without doing anything, people would be like, well, she's pregnant. Joseph married her. I guess they had relations before they got married, which isn't true. 
but to be a just man, he's saying his answer is he was minded to put her away secretly. That's his answer. It's the, it's the, it's the joining of righteousness, a righteous act, being just a justifiable act, obedient, obeying the, the law, as well as mercy and grace to, to, to not punish her. And he says he was minded to put her away. There's the, the legal thing. He has to do it. He has to give her. The other translations say he, he purposed to divorce her because it's a legal thing. He had to do this uh, according to the law. Uh, and, and, and he was going to do it secretly, which fulfilled the not wanting to make her public. And he was able to do this according to the law, and everything was good, and he was minded to do it. In other words, he made up his mind. The decision had been made in his heart and mind. This is my plan. You ever have plans that get changed? Well, Joseph's plans got changed. Because we continue to look at the details of God's plan. He was just, he was gracious and merciful, and, he, and he's going to be obedient. And we'll see that about his character later, all right? But I, I needed to put it under here because this is uh, really talking about the character of Joseph, and, and I don't want to split it up. So we'll get to his obedience in a little bit. But as we continue to look at the details of God's plan, uh, God is able to communicate through dreams. And so as he is trying to, uh, he's not trying, excuse me, as he is working out his plan, an angel of the Lord, uh, while he thought about these things, right, the idea that he had purposed to, to, to divorce her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, I've had some pretty realistic dreams, some which I would repeat, but not today, and others that I would never repeat because they're so realistic. And it's like, I mean, I have been frightened out of my, out of my mind, and I have been in awe of God because of dreams that I've had. And we're not going to get into those because I don't think that's necessarily God revealing anything to me because I have his word. But I will say, this angel, he appears to, to, uh, to Joseph in a dream. And angels are important. It's hugely important for what Matthew is trying to convey here. He appears to, to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Where do we hear that son of David before? Oh, wait a minute. Verse 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. The, the, the origins of the Messiah. This is the way Jesus came to be. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the focus is this idea of him being the son of David, the king of kings. And so he is this promised uh, king who will be on the throne forever. And he says, uh, he, he addresses Joseph. Joseph, son of David. What does it mean for Joseph to be a son of David? Well, if you go through the genealogy, and, and, and it's really fascinating, and Joe did, again, did a great job with it, you go from all the way from Abraham, and you go all the way down to Joseph. Joseph is a genuine, physical descendant of, uh, of David. Excuse me, Abraham to David, and, and of David. And so when Joseph is called son of David, it is clarifying for everybody that Joseph is of the lineage of David, so he has a right. He has a right to, for God to be, if God chose to call him to be king, because he is one of David's descendants. But he says, Joseph, son of David, you are, you are of the lineage of David. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, his wife. So what we see here is that, that God is telling Joseph to do something difficult. Seriously, look at this. It's the idea, do not be afraid. Do not hesitate. Do not hold back. Do not, do not refrain from my plan, Joseph. My plan is for you to marry, to, to, to marry Mary, to, to join in wedlock with Mary, right? To be, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. 
That take to you is the idea, don't be afraid to take her into your home. This is the plan of God, and it's absolutely uh, a wonderful thing to, to uh, uh, be witness to. Here, do not be afraid to take Mary to your wife. Think about it. Did Joseph have reason to be afraid? Yes, and, and not in the sense of physical fear, but in the sense of, yeah, I'm a just man. I can't do this. Uh, it's, 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 I'm in tension. I'm in dilemma. I'm in conflict. And certainly it would have meant some, if he, he had just married her without doing anything uh, like he did, it's, it's going to cause rumors and concerns and, for the community. So we see a few more details of God's plan. The gender of the unborn child is revealed. Up to this point, we just know, hey, Mary's going to have a child. It's going to be a child of, of the Holy Spirit. But she will bring forth a son. Now, we know that, but we can't just skip over that. Joseph is learning all this for the first time. She will bring forth a son. And, and we see that, that after the gender of the child is revealed, he's given a command and then explains the significance of Jesus' name. He says, he says, you shall call his name Jesus, which we've already talked, and we'll talk about it more in a second, for he will save his people from their sins. So the, 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 the word, the name Jesus is Greek for the Hebrew name Joshua. And we've talked, I mentioned that two weeks ago. But it means, the name means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. Think about Joshua for a minute. He's the one that was uh, allowed to be that leader of the Israelites to come into the land and, and do so, so many uh, amazing things. He was part of the Exodus, even though he wasn't the one who, uh, uh, it was Moses who was the leader. But we see this, to, in, in Jesus' name, we see the significance of what his mission and his purpose is going to be. So a few more details. God's plan was in place back in the day of Isaiah. i got to keep moving for, for sake of time today. Um, but we see that his plan was in place back in Isaiah. So verse 22 of Matthew 1. So all this was done, everything that the angel had revealed, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that's Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. There's a lot more details here, right? So we're going to see. First of all, it, God's plan was, was planned way back in the day of Isaiah. All right? His plan required a virgin to conceive. Think, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. What? All right, what do you mean she's pregnant? All right? And it's not, a, it's not by a man? No. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they should call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so, so Joseph is getting all these details. And if you were to put yourselves in his shoe, as we would put ourselves in Mary's shoe in the Gospel of Luke, we would be in awe of, of how faithful they are and, and be in awe of God's plan. Because we see the name reveals the plan. The name reveals the plan of God. It's, it's his name shall be Emmanuel. Now, he wasn't called Emmanuel. He was called Jesus. But Emmanuel is, that, is, that, is, the, is the word used in, uh, in Isaiah's prophecy. And we know Jesus had many names attributed to him. Emmanuel is one of them, but he was physically named or, or, uh, by, by his uh, parents, I'll say that. He was named uh, Jesus. But it says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So the whole purpose here is, our, from our perspective, the plan of God is an unfolding plan. 
right? We don't know all the details, but the first part that we were looking at is the plan of God is for him to forever be with his people, and Jesus is named Emmanuel, God with us. It is the transcending God coming into imminent personal space. And that same Son of God is is in our lives today and is, is working in your life today. So this plan of God is amazing, and that part one is the largest portion of the sermon today because there's so many details. But we have to look at part two, which is the plan of God is for a righteous king to forever rule his people. He's a son of David. And we know that the son of David, that God promised David this, this, uh, that he would establish his house forever. There would be someone sitting on the throne forever. But there was this thing that the genealogy that Joe covered last week happened. It was called the exile. It was called Babylon. It was called uh, the, the people of God were taken from their land and dispersed uh, throughout the world. And, and, uh, and then they were allowed to come back. But they never came back and had a king like David. They didn't have, they had other kings, but they didn't have a king like David. And so we see the plan of God is to have a righteous king over his people is seen, one, in Deuteronomy 17, way before the day of David. God said, listen, I'm looking towards the future because God knows all these things. When you ask for a king to be over you, this is what the type of king that you will want to have. And that's all the way back in Deuteronomy 17. God talks to the Israelites about the future day, which was hundreds of years uh, later, uh, when they will have a king. We see it in 2 Samuel 7, where, where David is promised uh, a king that will sit on the throne uh, forever. Uh, we see it through all the kings of Israel and Judah, in the genealogy and those that aren't even included in the gene- genealogy. But in the genealogy of Jesus, we see all those kings Uh, Those who honored God with a good portion of their life and those that despised God for the majority of their life. All those kings were either demonstrating this is what the future king will, will partly be like or this is what the king that is to come will never be like. If, if they were righteous, they were going to be like the future King Jesus. If they were unrighteous, then they were the exact opposite of who Jesus is to be. So Jesus' adoption, so his birth... Right? His birth uh, brings us one step closer to eternity, to be ever with his presence. But his adoption brings us one step closer toward an eternity under his righteous rule. Think about this for a minute. His birth and his adoption is one way of dividing verses 17 through 25. It would be 17 through 24 and then 25. Well, actually, it's 17 through 23 and then 24 and 25, parts of 24. But I, have you ever considered the fact that Jesus was adopted? I don't know if that strikes you as strange. I don't think this is something we focus on at Christmas time. We just talk about the, the birth of Jesus. And I don't have time today to go between the intricacies between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. But the, the genealogy presented in Matthew is very much establishing that Jesus is going to fulfill the promise God made to Abraham. It's, he's going to fulfill the promise that God made to David as being son of Abraham and son of David. But this idea of the son of David, there is going to come a time where the world will be ruled by a righteous king forever. And that is Jesus. But if you, as you look at the genealogy of Joseph, he has the right to be the king. Joseph does. But Jesus is not Joseph's biological child. 
just sticking with the Gospel of Matthew for a moment here, Jesus has no right to be king because he is not the physical descendant of Joseph, which is good news for us, by the way, because if he was physical descendant of Joseph, he would have the sin nature and we'd all be dead in our sin and trespasses. So what has taken place? Joseph adopted Jesus. And we're going to see that in two ways. Verse 24, that Joseph, bringing, uh, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That's talking about his obedience, right? He, he obeyed God in two very specific ways. He took to him his wife. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to, your, to be your wife. And what does he do? He wakes up, he goes, and he brings Mary to himself. He took to him his wife. That was the next step of their betrothal, was to bring her under his roof and did not know her, and to bring her into his bed. But he did not know her. He had no sexual relations with her uh, uh, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. He was a godly, just man, and he did what God told him to do. And he brought her in, but he did not know her as his wife. They did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was, was born. And it says, did not know her till after she brought forth her firstborn son. And notice this. This is the second way that, that, that um, Joseph was obedient to God. He called his name Jesus. Angel says to Jesus, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary. Bring her into your home. She's going to have a son, and you will name him Jesus. It's not saying that Mary wasn't involved in the process, ladies. I'm just saying that as we look at this genealogy, the emphasis is on Joseph. If Joseph did not bring her into his home, if Joseph did not name the child, these are cultural ways of adoption. He was claiming Jesus as his own, and so he adopted him. Now, I know there are many people in this room. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there are many people, at least a few, who have experienced adoption, either as the adopted child or as the adopted parent, adoptive parent. And so adoption is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And what's, you know, we talk about the deaf and the least reached people group and, and, and that those people are really disdained and they're treated with, you know, they're not treated with the respect they deserve. Uh, but we have those who, who often people who are adopted are treated with disrespect and it should never be. And so think about the good news that, geez, for an adopted person wondering about their place in this world and wondering about the purposes of God for their life, to know that their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was adopted. And because of his adoption, he is eligible to be king. And he is king. All right? But this is the way, this is the emphasis of Matthew as we go through. It's continuing the emphasis of the genealogy. And so we see from our perspective, the plan of God is an unfolding plan. All right? The third part of it is the plan of God is for a redeemed people to forever worship Him. And this is where we're going to segue into the Lord's Supper. Because God has a plan. It's always been plan A. It will continue to be plan A. There will never be a plan B. And that plan is promising us His presence. It's promising us a righteous ruler. But his plan for us today is that for, a, uh, the plan of God is for a redeemed people to forever worship him. And this is, this is eternity. This is what we get to celebrate. Now, granted, we can worship him now in part, uh, but it's not perfect. 
But there will be a time where we are worshiping him forever with no sin. It'll be perfect. It'll be glorious. It'll be like it was before the fall. And so this is part of the plan of God too. And so the participating in the Lord's Supper is an act of such worship, proclaiming one's faith in Jesus. So this is where I just pause and say, as we, as we start to, to transition into the Lord's Supper, do you know Jesus? This, this, uh, this, this act of worship that we're about to participate in, you are proclaiming your faith in Jesus if you participate in it. Now, there are different church uh, groups of which the Roman Catholics would be one, Greek Orthodox would be one, there are probably others, where you are not, you as a, as a, as a non-Catholic or as a non-Greek uh, Orthodox and whatever uh, other groups might, might practice it, you would not be able to participate in communion or in the celebration of the Lord's Supper because they have different beliefs about what it means. And I'm not going to get into all those beliefs. But for us, and I'm not saying as Baptists, I'm saying as we seek to be scriptural, as we understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, it is a picture, it is a symbol for us to, to say when we participate in it, we are proclaiming our individual faith in Christ. And as we do it together, we are, we are proclaiming our unity in Christ. As we come around this meal, and it's not a meal like in the first century, and I'll be honest with you, we have talked as pastors about doing the Lord's Supper one day as a fellowship meal, and if we ever get around to planning it and figuring out the nuances of it, but listen, there were people coming, and in Corinthians it was told they were doing it wrong. Some of you are going away uh, full and drunk, and other, others of you are going away hungry. And, and it says, you're not, you, it looks like the Lord's Supper, but it is not the Lord's Supper. Paul said to the Corinthians. And so, uh, but for us, listen, if you're here today and you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, then, then celebrate that and proclaim the truth of that by participating in the meal. If you are guilty of sin, if you're guilty of habitual sin, and, and you know, Lord, I'm just, I am not living the life that counts on your presence and understands your your. Uh, your rule, rulership over my life, right? Your authority over my life. Then I'm asking you between now and the time that we participate in, in these elements, which are symbols, confess your sin to God and, and, and purpose to, to uh, repent of it. Confess and repent. And then participate in the meal. We'll look at a verse here in just a minute that says just that. But, so, but if you're not, if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, first of all, we invite you, come to faith in Christ. Let me invite you to say, if, if you are someone that has been around Christian churches and Christian teaching, and, or maybe you're just here uh, for the first time and you never heard Jesus, the truth of the gospel is that God loves us. And he sent his son, his one and only son, into the world to die on the cross for our sins. He had to pay for our sins. We sang it in the song earlier. Our account has been paid for. It is, we are redeemed. We have, God has purchased us. He, his death on the cross paid all that was necessary for sin to be forgiven. And those who come to faith in Him have their sins forgiven. You just need to come to the Lord. Whoever so, so, uh, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. And you can know that to be true by, by coming to faith in what Jesus Christ did for you. You want your sins forgiven? Confess them to God and ask for His forgiveness because of your faith that Jesus paid the price of your sin on the cross. Come to faith. 
Even now, while I'm talking, pray, call out to God and say, Lord, forgive me. It's really that simple. Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. Do I, I don't know all things about the Bible. I don't know all things about Jesus. I don't know all that, but I know this. I do believe he's your son, and I believe he paid for my sin on that cross because he was the spotless lamb. He was the sinless one who paid for sin that I might have redemption. And then he died, was buried, and rose again. And, and, and that's what baptism portrays. Uh, but, but his resurrection demonstrates power over his death, which has is, which is conquered sin. And all those who come to faith are, are uh, united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. So as, as, as you come to this particular Lord's Supper, as any Lord's Supper, we just encourage you, proclaim your faith by participation. Or proclaim your non-faith by not participating, but we invite you to come to faith beforehand. All right, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Look at some of these verses that we talk about the plan of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is part of God's plan. We see in Hebrews 10.14, for by one offering he has perfected forever. Remember, God is perfect. His plan is perfect, and it lasts forever. Those who are being sanctified for by one offering, that's Jesus Christ on the cross, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That is us. Him being delivered, this is uh, Acts chapter 2, him being uh, delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God as Peter is talking to the Holy Spirit's empowering him and speaking through him and people are hearing him in their own language. He says, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was delivered to the Jews and to the cross with the determined purpose and knowledge of God. It was part of God's plan. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Mankind is culpable uh, for the death of Jesus. So as we get into our text, and we'll conclude with this and then a song, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. I've already covered that. An unworthy manner would be living in unconfessed sin. Uh, unworthy manner would be, would be not being in right fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're, li- if you're in an unworthy manner, um, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. There, there's consequences. Don't, don't do it. But he says, but let a man examine himself, and we'll do that in just a moment. You can, hopefully you're already doing it now. And so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. It doesn't say, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. He says, no, you're not worthy if you're, if you're uh, guilty of unrepentant sin or, or, or in, in a, a, um, you're in a sinful relationship. In other words, you're out of relationship with your brother in Christ. Uh, but let, let a man examine himself. Examine yourself. Confess it. And then eat and drink. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. We are the body of Christ. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So let's go ahead and just take a moment and just examine ourselves. I've already done much of it. It'll be a brief moment. Father, I thank you for uh, this time to just park on this point and say, you have given us the ability to examine ourselves. We, we, know, we are not, our sin is not, it's not a mystery to us. We know we violate your standards. We know that we are out of relationship with your people. So, Father, I pray that as we, as we embark on once again celebrating the Lord's Supper, that we would call to mind 
for each person here, any area of life that they have unrepentant sin in. And Lord, and then, and then give them the faith and the strength to repent of it, even now. And to purpose to trust in you and to rely upon your strength through the power of the Spirit that indwells them to refrain from the sin that has a hold of their life. And Father, if we, we, we pray that as, as we know that in any group of people, people don't always get along. So Father, we pray that whatever relationships are being strained at this moment in this room or outside of this room, Lord, that you would do a work even now, that people would purpose to make those relationships right. And Lord, give them the, the, the courage to do what is necessary to be done. And so Father, whatever you're doing in hearts and minds, I trust and we trust in the power of the Spirit, to do your work as we move forward to recognize and to participate in the symbol that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it says in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he concludes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is part of the plan of God, folks. Every time we participate in this, we are proclaiming Jesus' death for sins, for the payment of sins, but that till he comes. And that means he's resurrected and he's coming again. Praise the Lord for that. As we conclude this particular study of the Gospel of Matthew, I, I entitled it, The Adopted King. It's an amazing truth that we often don't focus on, and I hope that it will minister to you as you go through this day, as you think about everything that's been shared. And I want you to think about the life of Joseph and what God called him to do. Because like Joseph, we are called to live in obedience. We're called to live uh, in Christian character. We're called to live and trust the Lord. And when we know the will of God, as Joseph did, we are called to respond in faith. If the will of God for you today is to come to know Him as Lord and Savior, we pray that you would uh, not only do that, but you'd let us know that you did that. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, called of God today to, um, for some other aspect of your Christian life, for those who are a believer, please share it with others and share it with us so we can rejoice with you. All right, let's sing.